Okay, we might get a little uncomfortable uh, this morning, uh, and, and you probably remember that we're kind of in a string of uncomfortable homilies, um, and, and that's okay. I think, I think next week is going to be better, I think, I hope. Um, anyway, so we've got to set the stage. Okay, so just as a reminder, two Sundays ago, we heard for the last few verses of Matthew chapter 9 and the first few verses of chapter 10. Then last Sunday, we heard more from chapter 10, and now today we hear the very end of chapter 10. And, and in between both Sundays, both or through all three readings, we skipped a few verses. So I mentioned them last week, the ones that we skipped, and I'll mention uh, at the end the verses that we skip uh, today. But, but nonetheless, it's all one continuous strand from the Lord, where, where it all begins with great crowds following him, because because people are, are finding in him the, the very thing that they've been longing for, which is somebody to lead them, somebody to be their shepherd. Uh, he, he looks at them with pity because they're like sheep without a shepherd, which if you remember, I mentioned, like it's, it's an awkward thing for him to recognize this because they at least theoretically had shepherds. They had people, uh, religious leaders, to, to guide them, to walk with them, to show them the way to following God's laws. But for some reason, those people were not doing a good job, and so that leads Jesus to understand that they don't have a shepherd. So, so then he wants to solve the, the problem. He wants to help bring about the solution, which, of course, he is the solution, but he also has in his mind that he's come to establish something that, that is, uh, in many ways, like it is him, but it's, it's bigger than him because he knows that he's, he's not going to be on earth forever. So he wants to establish shepherds, new shepherds, who actually can like he can reach through them into these other people. So he calls the 12, right? The 12 apostles, Peter and Andrew, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, these, these 12 people. Um, and he calls them and he's, so the rest of the readings from, from two Sundays ago, from last Sunday and from today, he's still speaking to this group, right? So he's not, he's not speaking to the crowds, but he's speaking to this group of people and he's preparing to send this group of people out into the crowds with his own authority. It says, uh, we heard this two, week, two weekends ago, that, that he, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to drive them out, to cast them out, to heal diseases, to preach and teach in his name, to announce that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So now, now we, we got to understand this. Okay, if he's talking to them and he's sending them out with his authority, that means that they should be concerned first and foremost with what he wants them to say. Right? Does that make sense? That like, okay, I'm giving you my authority. You're going to represent me, Jesus is saying. And so when you go out there, you got to make sure you represent me accurately. Right? So, so it's a really, a really silly, silly example. But, but imagine this. Imagine Jesus is saying to, to his 12, okay, I really want these people to know that I love banana bread. So go out there and tell them that I love banana bread. It would be silly if then they went out into the crowd and they're like, you guys, Jesus really wants you to know that he loves chocolate chip cookies, right? It wouldn't, it doesn't, it, there's, there's a disconnect there. It doesn't make sense. Similarly, what, what also wouldn't make sense is if they went out into the crowd and said, Jesus has a sweet tooth and he just loves all the sweets. That's not at all what Jesus told them to say, right? So, so it's really important for, for the 12, for, for the ministers of his church to understand what Jesus is telling them to communicate and then to actually go and communicate what Jesus communicated, right? It's incredibly, incredibly important. And we know that the 12 did this, but we also know that, that there was at least one time in the gospels, maybe more, but, but at least one time that I can think of right now where John improvised, where he comes to Jesus and, and he says, Lord, we saw somebody else casting out demons in your name, but we, we told him to stop. 
We forbid him from doing it. We improvised. We, we, like, this, this isn't part of the plan. And Jesus says, no, what are you doing? Like, you, the only reason that person can cast out demons in, in my name is because, because I'm letting it happen, right? So like he's, he's saying, if he's not against you, don't, don't work against him. So in other words, Jesus even shows the disciples that when they try to improvise, when they try to, to stray from what he's teaching them, this is going to cause problems for, for the people of God as well as for his disciples because he has to rebuke John when, when John tries to stray from what Jesus said. So, so, so important for the ministers of the church to preach and teach in the name of Jesus and, and to teach what he wants them to teach. Uh, and, and I mentioned this, that, that what we've been seeing for the last decades, at least in the current church, and we could, we could look at throughout, throughout history and see periods of time where, where I'd say we're at right now, which is that for decades, at, in a large-scale kind of way, the leaders of the church have actually strayed from what Jesus teaches, both from what he teaches in the Bible and what he teaches in the doctrines of the church throughout the traditions of the church, that, that leaders throughout the church. And, and the example I used was, uh, you know, the, the five precepts of the church, the five minimum requirements that we have as Catholic Christians that we actually have to do in order to be considered practicing Catholics. And I asked, I asked you, I asked all of our parishioners in our three parishes, how many of them could confidently tell me what the five are without actually having to tell me, but how many thought they could tell me. And between the three parishes, there were only a handful of hands that went up. Right, like that, that we're in this, by the way, if, if you're interested, they're, they're printed in the bulletin this week, so you can, you can read them and find out what the precepts, the minimum requirements are. But, but the, point, the point here is that, isn't it fascinating that the most basic thing that we have as Catholic Christians, as far as being members of our church, we don't even know what they are, let alone know whether we're following them or not. Right, how, how does this happen? Well, it ultimately only happens because the leadership of the church has failed miserably to remain faithful to what Jesus is teaching. And, and I said this, and I'll say it again, that we can all think of perhaps individual priests in our minds. I have, I have priests in my mind that I could think of that I know are faithful to what the church teaches, and they teach it. I can think of that. But I, I can also think of other priests that aren't. And, and the point here isn't to pick out like, well, this one's good, and this one's bad, and that one's, you know, like, that's not the point. The point is just to say on a large scale, I could preach this same homily here in Goodrich, I could preach the same homily in Moorhead, in Detroit Lakes. I could preach the same homily in Chicago, in Los Angeles, in New York. Like I could preach the same homily because this is a large-scale problem that we have here, that, that the shepherds of the church have, have failed. And, and this is a big deal because Jesus is very intentional about communicating the truth because he knows that that we can't find the way to heaven on our own. In fact, he knows that he is the only way to heaven. And so if we want to go to heaven to have life after death, eternal life after death, then we have to, we have to do that through him. And so if the leaders of the church are not communicating through him, then that's a big problem. Because what's gonna happen is, is well, a bunch of people are, are thinking that they've heard the truth of the gospel, when in fact, they've just heard either a generalization that isn't fully accurate to what Jesus said, just like, right, just like I love banana bread while he loves sweets, right? A generalization that's not really getting to the truth of the gospel. Or for some people, they've actually heard bad preaching. They've, they've heard bad advice where, where Jesus says, I love banana bread. And they're like, no, he loves, he loves chocolate chip cookies. Whereas sometimes people have heard a false gospel. And, and that's a problem because like, we gotta be faithful to the Lord. He is the only way to heaven. Okay, now, now why, why are we talking about this? It's important because 
when someone then wants to actually be confronted with the words of Jesus in what he teaches in the gospel and what he teaches in the doctrines of the church, what can happen is if a person's not accustomed to hearing the truth, if a person just hears a generalized version of it or even a false version of it, then when you're confronted with the truth of it, what can happen? Well, Father, we don't really believe that anymore. Or that one's not for me, Father. I, we don't have to believe everything. Father so-and-so told me that I don't have to believe everything. Right? What happens then is when we're confronted with the truth of the gospel, then our tendency is to just sort of shrug it off. Like, well, I don't, I don't know about that one. It's too hard. Or I, we don't have to believe it. You know, that kind of thing. That, and that's a problem because, because today, so today I think is a really good example of this. It's an example of something that we don't talk about or we haven't spoken about much in the church today, in today's culture. Listen, listen again to what he said. And, and, I, and I love this. I, so as I was uh, proclaiming the gospel, I was looking out and, and many of you are following along. So I know that you saw this and, and I, I appreciate that a lot. But, but at the same time, let's just take a moment to just go slowly, right? Whoever, these are the words of Jesus. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. How, how many homilies have you, do you remember hearing about like, well, actually, if you don't, if you aren't faithful to the Lord, if you don't love him more than you love anything or anyone else, you're not worthy of him. We don't talk about that. Like We don't talk about how there's a standard that Jesus sets. And if we don't meet the standard, then we're not worthy of him. And if we're not worthy of him, well, what did he say at the end of last week's gospel? He says, whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my father. But whoever denies me before others, I will deny before my heavenly Father. So, so if, we're not, if we're not rising to the occasion to acknowledge Jesus in his fullness and, and to acknowledge him means to embrace him, to love him, to, to, to rise to his standard, if we're not doing that by his grace, then, then we're falling short, which means we're not worthy of him. If we're not worthy of him, that means he's gonna deny us before our heavenly Father when we die, which means we're gonna be outside of eternal life. Instead, we're gonna be stuck in eternal death. That's a big problem. And yet, for some reason, we tend to shy away from this kind of thing. And I don't, I don't really know why. But now what we need, to do, we need to talk about it is this, right? So whoever loves father or mother more than me. Well, so people hear this and be like, okay, no, I, like, I love Jesus more than anything. But we have to understand what that word love means, right? We, we use the word love in all kinds of different ways in, in our world, in our culture. Uh, like, I, I love the Vikings, or I love pizza, or I love banana bread. I, I love my mom or my dad. I love, I love Jesus. I love, you know, whatever. We use this word love in all kinds of different ways, and, and hopefully we, we don't use it in the same way. We don't mean it the same way, right? It would be foolish of me if I loved banana bread in the same way that I love Jesus. That would be incredibly foolish. Now, I know some people love the Vikings in the same way they love Jesus, but that's, that's a separate homily for a separate time. Uh, but, but the point is that, that we, we use these words, the same word, but with different meaning, and we know that we have different meanings to it. So we got to ask, like, what kind of love is Jesus talking about when he says that we need to love him more than anything or anyone else? And if we love anything or anything else more than him, we're not worthy. What does that mean? 
And, and I think our first tendency is to think, well, love is like a warm, fuzzy feeling that I have towards someone. And so, so, you know, as long as I maintain this warm, fuzzy feeling toward Jesus, well, then I can say that I love him no matter what. But how many people do you know in your life that, that say, well, no, of course I love God more than anything. But then they don't always come to Mass. They only come when it's convenient for them. Or they don't come at all. How many people do you know that say they love Jesus, but you look at their life and it doesn't really seem like they're trying to follow his commandments. Like maybe they do when it's convenient, but they don't mind missing out on this thing or that thing. That, that, can't, that can't be the love that Jesus is talking about, this warm, fuzzy feeling. In fact, in fact, the perfect example of the love that he's talking about is, is found on the cross. And there's another example I'm going I'm to look at in a minute, but this, like, just consider this for a minute. Consider Jesus on the cross. Jesus, who is, who is God, he's perfect. Like, he's, he's lacking nothing. He is filled with glory in heaven. He sets aside that glory because he sees us in a miserable, pathetic state, separated from him. And he comes down to us so that he could save us and lift us out of the miserable pit that we were in because of sin and lead us into eternal life. And when he comes to us out of love, we reject him. We scourge him so that his flesh is torn apart. Blood is everywhere. We take a crown of thorns and we don't just put it on his head gently. We, we ram it into his skull so that the flesh on his skull is pierced so that the, the crown stays there and the blood just drips down his face. And then we strip him naked and crucify him, execute him in the most humiliating way that there's ever been to execute somebody. That's Jesus on the cross. Now think about this. Do you think while he's on the cross, he has warm, fuzzy feelings toward humans? I can't imagine that he does. I just can't imagine it. I can't imagine he has any warm, fuzzy feelings at all on the cross. And yet, we say that in that moment, he's loving us more than anybody has ever loved us. So, so that love that we're talking about has to be more than feelings. It has to go deeper into this sort of commitment, resolution, choice, right? He chooses to remain on the cross, even though it's the most miserable place to be. Another example, for maybe, maybe one that hits home for, for you parents a little bit better. So, so think of this, whether, whether your kids are still at home or whether they're grown up, just imagine a time when, when your kids were children and they wake up in the middle of the night crying and screaming, whether because they don't feel well or they had a bad dream or whatever. And, and your first thought when they wake you up from crying and screaming is just like, what now? You know, like, I, I want to I I stay in bed because my bed is comfortable. I want to stay here. But, but what do you do? You get up and you go to your child. You find out what's wrong. You care for your child. Why? Because you love. In spite of your feelings, even though your feelings are maybe irritation or annoyance or, or just like a preference for comfort, in spite of your feelings, you say, I'm going to get up and care for my child because I know that this is the best thing for my child. Right? Or maybe some of you experienced this, that imagine a time when your children like vomited all over you. Right? And it's just like, this is so gross. What's your tendency? What's your, your feeling of impulse? Your feeling of impulse is to back away and just like, I got I to gotta, I gotta get out of this disgusting thing. But what do you do instead? No, you stay in it. Because you know in that moment, the best thing for you to do is not resort to your feelings, but instead to choose to stay and care for your child. 
That's a deeper kind of love. That's the kind of love that Jesus is talking about, that even if your feelings betray you, or even if your feelings wanna lead you to do something else, you say, no, what's actually good for this situation? What are God's preferences here? And let me choose those. That's what he's talking about. So, so in these situations, whoever, whoever loves father or mother more than me, he's saying, look, if you're ever in a situation where, where your family, the, the people that you love the most, want you to break one of God's commandments or, or they want you to do something that's gonna lead you to breaking one of God's commandments, if you do that, you're not worthy of me. That's what he's saying. But instead, to make the difficult decision to say, you know what, mom or dad, you know what, uh, son or daughter, you know what, spouse or, or relative or friend or whatever, you know what, I know, I know that you want to do this and I even kind of want to do it, but I want to be faithful to God's commandments and so I'm not going to do this thing. Or I know you don't want me to do this, but I got to be faithful to God's commands and so I'm going to do this thing. Right now, this, this is where things get a little bit sticky because we got we to try to take this principle and, t- and bring some examples into it. Some examples, so, so really simple example, really silly example to start, something easy. So imagine someone comes to you, someone that you love very much, like think of whether it's your mom, your dad, your spouse, your, your, your brother, sister, whatever, whoever, your kids come to you and they're just like, okay, I'm a little short on money and I really, like I'm really short on money and I'm asking you out of love, will you help me rob a bank? You're saying to yourself, like, no, I'm not going to help you rob a bank. Well, why? Well, because one of the commandments is you shall not steal. So as much as I love you, I'm not going to help you rob this bank because that's not, that's not what God wants us to do. But then your, your child says, yeah, but don't you love me? Like, if you love me, you'll help me rob this bank. You're just like, I think you don't really understand it. I'm, because I want to be faithful to God's commandments, I'm not going to help you with this. Right? There's a choice that's involved here, even though it seems like maybe the relationship is at risk. Or another person says to you, another person that you love, or maybe the same person says, I am so mad at this person. Will you help me murder them? It's like, no, I'm not going to help you. This is one of God's commandments to not kill. And I know that that's a big deal. And I'm not going to help you kill this person. Yeah, but don't you love me? I'm so mad at this person. If you really loved me, you would help me kill this person. I'm not, I'm not going to, right? There's a choice here. Now, these are easy examples. Let's get into some more difficult ones. How many people do I know who uh, they go to visit their family, their kids, their, their other relatives, whatever, and they, they come back and they say, Father, they don't go to Mass, and I didn't want to cause any stink, so we just didn't make it. In that moment, you have chosen to love your family more than you've chosen to love God, more than you've chosen to love Jesus. As difficult as that might be in that situation, what, what do you got to do? You got to say, you know what, I, I'm going to find a way to get to Mass. Or if you're visiting your kids, I tell people this all the time, especially if parents are going to visit their kids. It's like, you're the matriarch, you're the patriarch. You can demand that they take you to mass, even though it might be uncomfortable, even though they might disagree with you. You can make that demand. You have that right as their parent. Right? Or another situation. Basically, you could think, you think of any time people are involved and they want to entice you toward mortal sin. Right? Think of like different relationships, how sometimes you're in certain relationships, whether it's within the context of marriage or, or most often it's like outside the context of marriage. It's like, well, if you love me, you'll participate in this action with me. If you really love me, you'll let this happen. It's like, maybe I do really love you, but I love Jesus more. And so I'm not going to be willing to break his commands to do this. Think of like people getting married. Sometimes Catholics get married outside the church and it's like, this is, this is a serious thing. It's a mortal sin. And, and so it's like, sometimes they ask you to participate in that in, in various forms, various ways to support them by your presence or to, to be a part of it or whatever it is. And it's like, I, I can't do that. I won't do that. 
because I want to be faithful to the Lord and his commandments. And by the way, I want you to do the same, right? It's not like, it's not like I'm trying to separate my love for God from my love for you. It's actually that, that my love for God leads me to love you or want to love you in such a way that I'm not going to participate in you going to the detriment of your soul. Right? This is the kind of love that Jesus is talking about. And, and I can imagine a person hearing this or thinking about this and just saying like, Father, if I do that, that's going to cause problems in my life. That's going to cause problems in my relationship, my relationships with this person, with that person. The Lord knows that, actually. Listen to the verses that we skipped over uh, this week. In Matthew chapter 10, he says this, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes will be those of his own household. You see this, Jesus knows that not everyone is going to accept the gospel. He knows that not everyone is going to accept his way of, of finding eternal life. But for those who have faith in him, for those who know that he's the only way to eternal life, for those people who claim as their one allegiance, Jesus Christ, sometimes we have to make those difficult decisions that, that actually will reveal division in our lives. But in those difficult moments, it's actually gonna, it's gonna hurt like hell. It's gonna hurt like, I feel like I'm dying, in fact. And again, Jesus knows this. He says this, whoever finds his life, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's in these difficult, hard, gut-wrenching decisions where it feels like we're being crucified with Jesus, where we're carrying our cross with him. It's in those moments that in so many ways we're assured of salvation. Now, we, we can't ultimately be assured of salvation until the very end, but, but the more we can persevere in our fidelity to him, the more confident we can be to stand before him at the end of our days. And, and I know this is hard, but... The thing is that we've gone for far too long, far too long with ministers of the church just trying to skirt around the issue and trying to, trying to present a generalization or a false gospel. We can't do that anymore. We just can't. The world that we live in is straying so far away from true gospel values and true gospel truths that we just can't let ourselves get away with skirting around the issue anymore. But instead, we need to courageously take a stand in faith for the Lord and cling to him and him alone. And, and hopefully our family comes along with us. Hopefully our friends come along with us. But if push comes to shove and we have to make those difficult decisions, we're going to choose the life that Jesus offers because that's the only life that's ultimately worth living.